Did President Bush use propaganda to sell the Iraq War? A former press secretary says so in a new book. Iran continues serious nuclear arms research, and Al-Qaeda is releasing another threatening video. We'll discuss it all with national security expert Frank Gaffney. Plus, Union University, devastated by a tornado, graduated the class of 2008. Its president joins us. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev... Tear down this wall. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941. A date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I was press secretary, and Scott was my deputy who helped me prepare for the briefings where I said everything that Scott is now saying is propaganda. And that's what I don't understand All right, that's former White House Press Secretary Ari Fleischer. He's reacting to the report today that another former White House Press Secretary, Scott McClellan, has written a memoir saying that the president, quote, was not open and forthright on Iraq. And he also claimed that the president veered terribly off course when it comes to the war in Iraq. Did the president mislead the public? Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Frank Gaffney, former Defense Department Administrator, National Security Expert. We'll also be talking to Gaffney about the FBI's recent warning to watch out for an al-Qaeda attack, the use of a weapon of mass destruction here in the United States. Also later in the program, Dr. David Dockery, president of Union University, will join us. Now, back in February, February 5th, after a devastating tornado, it really didn't seem possible that Union's class of 2008 would actually graduate. But by God's grace, on May 17th, they did. Here's the story. could see the actual funnel coming like lightning struck we could see it and then we got like blown back my ears popped the windows busted out it's very loud uh, and then all of a sudden it was over my eyes saw what I could not believe the devastation was massive the destruction was beyond comprehension Everywhere I turned in the residence life area, walls were coming down, students were coming out, some cut and bleeding, and then I heard these words, we're trapped. When the guy grabbed my hand, it couldn't have, couldn't have been better to know that I was, was going to make it out. The rest of the students were exited carefully off of the campus. Temporary housing was found for them throughout the night. 
a night that none of us who are here will ever forget. All right, that's Dr. David Dockery. He'll be joining us later in the program to talk about uh, the recovery of Union University from this tornado, the lessons God has taught him and them in that recovery, and also he's written a new book about his vision for the Southern Baptist Convention, which convenes in about two weeks, and so you'll want to hear Dr. David Dockery at the half hour. But, Penna, you know, yesterday we reported on Sharon Stone and uh, her suggesting that the earthquakes in China were bad karma revisited on the Chinese for their policy toward Tibet. And today, China had something to say to Mrs. Stone. Well, they weren't happy about it. Uh, As a matter of fact, there was a lot of critique of her comments. She made it at the Cannes Film Festival, and she linked the disaster to China's treatment of Tibetans during those March riots, uh, those anti-Chinese riots. And And this is what she said. She said, all those earthquakes and stuff that happened. And I thought, is that karma? When you are not nice, bad things happen to you. I'm not happy about how the Chinese are treating the Tibetans, et cetera. Yeah. First, my question to Sharon Stone is, what about the Christians? I mean, she's worried about the Tibetans. What about the way Chinese treat Christians? But this is, you know, that country is in the middle of a huge disaster. I mean, they're seeing uh, 69,000 deaths at least and about 20,000 people missing. So for her to come out and say uh, that, you know, because of some action, this horrible thing happened to the country, it's made a lot of people angry there. Well, China is going to stay in the news. We see that uh, today Russia supplying military technology to China. Uh, we see also in the news today that China is rescinding the one child per family policy for those who lost a child in the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Now, if that, maybe they'll go further. If that sounds like a generous uh, change of policy, uh, I think the Chinese um, are really misled when it comes to how the West is going to view them or the rest of the world because it just reminds us that they have this terrible policy of one child per family. And you mentioned the way they're treating the people in Tibet. You mentioned the way that they're persecuting Christians. And so all eyes are on China and will be for this um, Olympic um, season uh, remains to be seen what we'll do in the opening ceremony. A lot of people putting pressure on the president not to attend that opening ceremony. But uh, Sharon Stone, feeling like Jerry Falwell or John Hagee uh, or Pat Robertson after 9-11 or uh, Katrina, attributing uh, a disaster to the wrath of God, or in this a case, God. just bad karma. <laughs> so uh, other news today internationally, you've got uh, Obama. Now, earlier in the week, of course, Hillary uh, making a gaffe in her speech about Obama, mentioning Bobby Kennedy, mentioning the assassination. Penny, you've been tracing something Obama said uh, about Auschwitz. Well, he made another speech. This was on Memorial Day, and Republicans, of course, have jumped all over it, calling it a tall tale, because he said that his uncle helped liberate Auschwitz, which is the concentration camp in Poland, where more than a million people, mostly Jews, were killed. And, of course, uh, they found out, they did some research on this and found out that uh, the Soviets actually freed Auschwitz, not Americans. And it was Obama's great-uncle that helped free a German camp, Buckwald. And so that was the real truth. So Obama misspoke, and now he's had to backtrack. And uh, another piece of news, though, and I think this is something that we ought to talk with Frank Gaffney about later. Uh, This isn't a gap, but this is something John McCain said on Memorial Day that caused 
caused me to pause a little bit, and that is that he'd reduce nuclear weapons, that he'd reduce our nuclear arsenal. Now, we've critiqued Obama for doing that, but I'm curious to see why John McCain, Mm. who seems to have a lot of good military credentials and national security credentials, what's his rationale for wanting to do this? I think Frank Gaffney may have some insight Mm. into that. Now, yesterday we uh, interviewed um, an Army captain right here on the program, and Folks were encouraged by that, his spirit, uh, his energy. We've gotten a lot of feedback on that interview yesterday. Uh, But today we're hearing the former White House press secretary say that President Bush was not open and forthright on Iraq. That's Scott McClellan, former White House press secretary. And uh, Karl Rove has come out swinging to say, I don't know what in the world Scott is talking about. I want you to listen carefully to this response from Karl Rove. I will say this. It's a little irresponsible, as he, if this is accurate depiction of what's in the book. He says that following a meeting Scooter and I visited in 2005, well, Scooter and I visited all the time. Uh, I don't really know what the particular meeting in question was about. I know what it wasn't about, which was it was not about Plame and Wilson. Both of our attorneys told us not to talk to anybody else in the White House about anything connected with that, and so we didn't. But look, Scooter and I you know, came into contact uh, every day of, or every other day on things like the selection of judges or a particular policy issue or the vice president's travel schedule or, you know, certain, a, a, a draft of a presidential speech that we were commenting on. So, you know, he was the white, he was the vice president's chief of staff, and as a result, we had a lot of business. And I think it's, frankly, maybe a sign of irresponsibility for, for Scott to sort of suggest that because he saw the two of us meet and he didn't happen to be in the meeting, he somehow knows what the meeting was about. Okay, that's him responding really to what... Uh McClellan said about uh, Karl Rove somehow um, meeting with Scooter Libby to cover up the Valerie Plain um, scandal. But uh, the fundamental point today is you've got this former White House press secretary saying that President Bush was not open and forthright on Iraq. And I just want to pause here for a moment. I do this ever so often on this program, Penna, uh, to remind the people about the lead up to the war. Because you see these stickers, Bush lied, people died. Uh, You see these kind of quotes, the president was not open and forthright on Iraq. And I want to remind the people of what really happened leading up to this war. We had the first Gulf War, and that, that war was never over. There was a ceasefire. It was a very specific ceasefire. There was a no-fly zone, which the Iraqis had to observe. If they didn't observe it, hostilities would um, would come back. Uh, the, the ceasefire, the no-fly zone. They were supposed to let the inspectors in. So there was some very specific guidelines to keep the ceasefire from the first Gulf War in place. In fact, the Iraqis violated the no-fly zone. Uh, in fact, they shot at our airplanes. Uh, who flew in our airspace, and in fact, they stopped allowing the inspectors to come in. On top of that, you have uh, Hans Blick of the UN, uh, the French, the British, the Germans, the Americans, everyone agreeing that uh, Iraq was developing this um, weapons of mass destruction technology. Uh, There was no disagreement about the fact that they were doing it. There was a disagreement about whether there should be an invasion or a reaction. But the Brits and the Germans all agreed on the facts. Turns out everybody was wrong about some of those assumptions in any case. Uh, But they they were planning uh, 
nuclear capacity. They caught a man and actually tried him for that. And so there was some of that going on. Saddam Hussein had used gas against his own people and killed thousands of his own people. So he had used weapons of mass destruction. There was also the assassination attempt on President Bush I. A lot of people forget this, but President Clinton was president at the time. President Bush went over to visit the Saudi Arabians. And while he was over there, there was an assassination attempt that was aborted. And... um, President Clinton, to retaliate, sent a a couple of missiles, I think, over and hit the aspirin factory instead. But um, so clearly Saddam Hussein violated the ceasefire, kicked out the inspectors, misled them, and uh, planned to assassinate a a U.S. president, former U.S. president. Uh, I remember clearly that President Bush, the second, gave about 10 reasons at one point for going to war with Iraq. And I remember folks responding, that's not going to work. You've got to boil it down to one. And he did pick weapons of mass destruction. He presented his case to the Congress, to the Senate. His intelligence people presented that to the committees. Hillary Clinton was on that committee. Hillary Clinton was on that committee. And the Congress authorized the use of force. The Congress authorized... They should have declared war. I'm agreeing with Ron Paul about that. If we go to war, we should declare war. But in any case, Congress didn't do that. They authorized, though, the use of force. War by another name. But it's not President Bush that misled the American people. Uh, If a mistake was made, it was the Congress, it was the President, it was everyone. But in fact, I don't think a mistake was made. I think that um, Saddam Hussein violated the ceasefire, tried to assassinate former President Bush, and I think um, this is a just cause and a just war. And I think it does a great disservice as we just come off the heels of Memorial Day to uh, critique and criticize of the war, the war effort, when so many people have died to protect us and to protect our freedoms and to liberate Iraq just because things were going bad. Well, the fact is, they're going a lot better now, as we heard yesterday. Things are going a lot better. We heard more testimony today. We're going to play some of that testimony when we come back. We're going to talk to national security expert Frank Gaffney, former official in the Defense Department under Reagan. And we're going to talk to him about Iraq. We're going to talk to him about Iran. We're going to talk to him about Scott McClellan coming out to say today that President Bush was not open and forthright on Iraq. It's Jerry Johnson Live. Don't forget David Dockery coming up at the half hour on the SBC, also on the tornado at Union University. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Scott not only helped me to prepare to brief the press, but then he did it himself as press secretary. And he even did it just about a year ago. I remember watching him on Bill Maher's show, Defend the War. All right, that's former White House Press Secretary Ari Flasher. He's responding to another former White House Press Secretary, Scott McClellan, who said, quote, the president was not open and forthright on Iraq. He's got a memoir coming out, which is very critical of the administration and some of his former colleagues. Was, in fact, the president open and forthright on Iraq? Who is right? With us to talk about it, Frank Gaffney. He is the founder and president for the Center for National Security Policy in Washington, also former Secretary of, Assistant Secretary of Defense under President Reagan. Frank, welcome back to the program. Jerry, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Frank, we want to talk about al-Qaeda in a moment, this new FBI report, also uh, Iran and Iraq. But uh, your reaction to Scott McClellan saying that the president was not open and forthright on Iraq, what do you make of that? Well, I haven't seen his book. Um, This is the kind of thing that people often do when they're selling books, of course, is to make provocative statements that are going to be picked up by the press and and made into... uh, uh, you know the grist for the mill that uh, that moves uh, moves their product. Um, I have to tell you that um, I think I think that uh, based on what I've seen of most Washington memoirs, mm-hmm. um, this is probably not going to be uh, very well uh, documented. Uh, and I would just offer, by contrast, a uh, a terrific book that uh, a friend and colleague of mine by the name of Doug Fife has done. In fact, he had a, a pretty substantial piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal just yesterday about it, um, about, you know, the war, uh, the, the lead-up to it, uh, the thinking that went into it, uh, the, the presentation publicly, including... Um, you know, uh, in in the in the months subsequent to the uh, the successful liberation of Iraq, um, and and the intriguing thing about it is, Doug's book is exhaustively documented. Mm. It's called War and Decision. I really highly recommend it if if people are interested in knowing what really went on uh, inside the Bush administration, what was really going on as they were trying to contend with the threat that uh, I think they rightly saw from Saddam Hussein. Uh, that's the book to read. Uh, I doubt that Scott McClellan stands up to that same standard. Uh, let me ask you this, Frank, because uh, a lot of the campaigning still going on, in spite of the good news coming from Iraq, is is still focusing on the mistake of going to war with Iraq. Um, could you just, in a minute or so, uh, briefly review um, what, what were the the good reasons, the justifications uh, for this war? Do you still believe it was the right thing, and why? 
I do. And again, if people are interested in understanding what I think is the ground truth on that very question, uh, Doug Fife's Warren decision is a great resource. Um, I would answer it in the following way, Jerry. In the aftermath of 9-11, President Bush and his national security team had one uh, dominant concern, and that is to prevent something like 9-11, or perhaps vastly worse, from happening to this country. And they looked around the world at the, at the kinds of places from which a, a threat of, of perhaps the use of weapons of mass destruction by terrorists uh, could emanate from. And uh, top of the list was Saddam Hussein's Iraq. Why? Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, we know because he used them, including against his own people, but also against the people of Iran, um, who had uh, avowed revenge against the United States repeatedly for the humiliation he suffered at our hands, <clears throat> that of the international community we led in Desert Storm, and who clearly had ties with terrorism of all kinds. And I believe very strongly uh, there's evidence that uh, those ties in one form or another, included al-Qaeda. So for all these reasons, I think that there was a very compelling circumstantial case to be made for not allowing Saddam Hussein to be the next one to land a blow against this country. But, but you know, an interesting point that's almost entirely lost sight of, that we know subsequent to the liberation of Iraq, Jerry, was that Saddam Hussein had... Uh, low-level production of chemical and biological agents taking place right up to the time that we invaded. And more to the point, he had plans that we've uncovered to put the product of those production lines, he was going to ramp them up once the sanctions were lifted, but to put the product of those chemical and biological agent production lines into aerosol sprayers and perfume bottles for shipment to the United States and Europe. Wow. That's the kind of terrorist threat that I think the president was rightly concerned about and that we, we ended uh, with the elimination of Saddam Hussein, at least from that quarter. Frank Gaffney is with us. Hi, Frank. Uh, it's good to have you. Oh, it's um, great to be with you. Uh, I read that Doug Five piece yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, and one thing I noticed was uh, that you know he talked about um, the necessity to be in Iraq to be a force for peace in the Middle East, and perhaps it could have been sold that way. That might have uh, that might have stopped some of the horrible criticism of President Bush that's taking place right now. I, I think Doug's right about that. Uh, this this is, you know, one of the uh, unhappy things. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if old Scott McClellan wasn't one of the guys who was urging that the president not continue to explain why we did what we did and that instead look forward and, and put this happy gloss on that, you know, we're going to bring about democracy in Iraq. I'm all in favor of bringing about a Jeffersonian democracy there if we can, but I wouldn't hold my breath. And I don't think that was the principal reason for trying to deal with a real and present danger from Saddam Hussein. But I think to the extent that the president listened to people who told him, you know, don't challenge the naysayers. Don't take on the people who are trying to discredit you. Look forward, uh, just sort of right off the past. I think did him a terrible disservice to the extent he took their advice. He did himself a terrible disservice. And we're paying uh, all of us, including the president, of course, but I think all of us to some extent, um, the, uh, the, 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 
hard returns on uh, that bad call. All right, things are looking better. And here's a cut from the chief U.S. military spokesman in Iraq, Major General Kevin Bergner. He says violence is down sharply in central Iraq, but the battle isn't over yet. It is a much different place. It's still a place where we know that uh, the extremists will continue to try to uh, uh, reassert themselves. The battle isn't over yet, Frank, but things are better. And can you talk about your assessment of that? I think by almost any measure, um, there's been tremendous progress made. I, the, the one that I think I take the most comfort from, really, is we're seeing increasing evidence of uh, the Iraqis themselves uh, standing up, fighting, succeeding. Uh, even Maliki, who uh, I, among others, have had a fairly low um, regard for, uh, stepping up to the plate, taking on his own uh, Shia uh you know, uh, uh, militia, um, and and even the backers in his parliament, where he thinks uh, he has to, to gain control of uh, parts of the country that uh, were simply, you know, outside uh, outside the law, outside the government's uh, ambit. And I, I think the really important thing for the American people to understand is that this could get much worse, and, and it may well. I think the enemy will have a profound incentive between now and November to see what they can do to to basically tear the place up all over again. But what is being steadily put into place is a better future for the Iraqi people, one that does align them with the West, that does give them uh, economic opportunities, that does deny uh, terrorism, we hope, a, a safe haven there as it had under Saddam, uh, to say nothing of the brutal repression and so on. So all of that, I think, is the kind of thing we should take great pride in as Americans, that we've helped bring something about that's not just in our interest, but it's in the interest of other people uh, who, you know, we ought to, we ought to try to help. Um, make a better future for themselves. We're talking to Frank Gaffney. He's the author of War Footing, Tim's 10 Steps America Must Take to Prevail in the War for the Free World. Frank, we've got two threats today that are in the news. You've got the International Atomic Energy Agency saying they're concerned about, they have serious concern about Iran developing nuclear weapons. You also have this video called Nuclear Jihad, the Ultimate Terror. It's an al-Qaeda video out there saying that we need to strike in America. Uh, what's your assessment of these two threats? I think they're both real. Um, personally, I, I'm surprised that it's taken the IAEA so long to uh, acknowledge what I think has been perfectly obvious to anybody with a lick of sense for a long time. Uh, about Iran and and uh, the true purpose of its uh, so-called uh, peaceful nuclear power program. Um, it, to be perfectly candid, I'm I'm uh, also surprised it's taken so long um, for uh, the threat to metastasize uh, out of Al Qaeda and and Al Qaeda again, as you know, is 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 just one manifestation of this virulent totalitarian ideology, I, I call it Islamofascism, um, that has made no secret of its ambitions to uh, to destroy us, uh, that, that they're moving inexorably in the direction of getting their hands on the means by which to do it wholesale, mm. I think is, is not news, uh, that it's taken this long, uh, well, hopefully a while longer before it manifests itself more fully in in you know real loss of life uh, 
is something that uh, surprises me. I, I hope it will never happen, needless to say, but uh, I won't be surprised when it does. And, and part of why I think we've got to be so much more serious about the nature of the war we're in is that's what the enemy wants to do to us. Mm. And we're kidding ourselves if we think otherwise. We've got to go, Frank. Frank Gaffney, founder and president, the Center for Security Policy. Frank, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. Well, factor that into your vote for president this fall. Who would be the best commander-in-chief? Who will protect us uh, from the enemy? Well, when we come back, Dr. David Dockery, Union University, talking about the tornado, talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. Dr. David Dockery coming up next. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right. Do you remember February 5th, 2008 at 7.02 p.m., a tornado struck Union University? Listen now for some of the testimony from parents and students and the president. I went to campus Wednesday morning and stood outside the building. And... I just thought, there is no way one person could live under that. And yet, there's seven boys that God said, you're mine, and I'm not going to let you go. The sun came up. We looked across the campus. The devastation was far worse than anything we even imagined at the time. But Wednesday morning, the Union University community was at its best. People coming together, caring for each other saying we're going to move through this. What should have been a storm that cost dozens of lives, maybe hundreds of lives, no lives were lost. Nine students seriously injured. It is truly an act of God. This is Jerry Johnson live with Penn and Dexter, and you just heard the voice of Dr. David Dockery and parents and students uh, really reacting to the the tornado, February 5th, 2008. Many of you gave. In fact, we delivered over $50,000 of relief to Union University. And with us live on the line right now is Dr. David Dockery, president of Union University, former professor here at Criswell College. Uh, Dr. Dockery, thanks for being with us. Dr. Johnson, it's a joy to hear your voice this afternoon. Sure. Well, give us an update. You just had your graduation last week. We want to know about those five students that were injured, particularly that one that was in the hospital for quite a while. How are they doing? How is the campus doing, you know, what is God showing you through all this? Well, thank you so much for your ongoing interest, encouragement, prayers for us over the last 113 days. Uh, God has uh, sustained us by His grace. We were able to complete the semester to graduate the largest graduating class in Union history this past weekend, and uh, we rejoice together God's providence in uh, keeping us together, allowing us to finish the spring semester. Uh, I'm happy to share with you that of the nine students that were seriously injured, uh, they all have been released from the hospital. Great. Uh, they'll all be back in school in the fall semester, uh, still going through some rehabilitation this summer, a couple of them. But their prognosis is very, very hopeful. We are uh, quite encouraged across the campus we have 17 new residence life facilities wow. in some phase of construction and 
repairs going on on the, the other academic buildings, but we believe uh, by the end of August, when the fall semester cranks up, we will have a basically a brand new campus. Oh, wow. Dr. Dockery, this is Penna Dexter. Uh, yeah. You held graduation, uh, 400 students on May 17th. I mean, that must have just been a great celebration. It was an amazing uh, evening. We had over 6,000 people present for the graduation. Really? A lot of people from the community came out to support us uh, that night, and uh, it was a a terrific time for all of us to give thanks to God and do so together. Dr. Johnson mentioned uh, that KCBI listeners uh, donated there in the aftermath of the tornado. How is the fundraising going? Because that's another miracle story. It, It is, and we can't say thank you enough to friends like you uh, who sacrificed uh, to help Union at this uh, time, as you know, is the largest, I mean, it's the the worst uh, disaster in Southern Baptist history since 1845, well over $40 million worth of damage to our campus. Dr. Johnson was here just days Mm -hmm. afterwards when, before much of the cleanup had uh, begun and uh, was able to see us in some of our darkest uh, moments. Uh, but we give thanks today that over 5,500 individuals and over 500 congregations have uh, wow. responded to help from all 50 states and about a half a dozen countries. Over $12 million uh, has been uh, given, and uh, we had about an, we have about an $18 million gap, so we're about two thirds of the way there, and we're we're very hopeful that we can see the end of the tunnel from here. Our guest is Dr. David Dockery. He's president of Union University, Union University in Tennessee. And Dr. Dockery, I want to shift gears for a moment and go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Union University has had a long tradition of uh, connection in Southern Baptist leadership circles. Certainly, Criswell College having that same kind of influence in the convention. Uh, you've been a part of both institutions. You've written a new book, Southern Baptist Consensus and renewal. I've got a couple of questions for you because that that phrase consensus implies that there have been some tensions, some parties, some pulling, some factions. And I want to ask you first off, you know, as you write this book and approach this subject, what are the challenges, uh, the problems, if you will, for the SBC, you know, the needs? What is the challenge out there that you identify in this book? Well, first of all, the book begins by giving thanks for the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention, Mm -hmm. and that we have, by God's grace, been able to reclaim a commitment to the truthfulness of of Holy Scripture largely all across uh, the SBC, and certainly at most the key leadership positions. Um, But uh, there are, uh, there's some fragmentation, or at least the possibility of such, I Mm -hmm. think. Uh, Some of it's generational, uh, young to old, some of it's uh, traditional rural congregations versus more uh, progressive uh, suburban and urban congregations. Some of it has to do with some what I think are secondary theological uh, issues like uh, Calvinism or mm-hmm. per- perhaps some particulars of Baptist ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. What I try to do in the book is to call us to uh, highlight our commitment to Scripture, our commitment to the Gospel, our commitment to global missions, our commitment to the corporate program. So these are things that uh, hold us together. And then to recognize there are some areas where we have differences. 
such as in our approach to worship, education, uh, leadership, some aspects of our theological heritage, to identify those, try to uh, develop some parameters around which we can agree to disagree, and then trust God's Spirit to create a renewed consensus and uh, help us uh, move forward. We have the uh, one of the greatest opportunities of all time, given where we are in the 21st century, to be uh, an instrument to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And it's time for us to hold together, I think, and refocus around the gospel evangelism and missions, and I trust that God will help us to do so. Dr. Dockery, uh, a lot of people out there may not be Southern Baptist. Even those who are, I mean, there's an anti-denominational spirit out there today, I think, and it probably would be good. I mean, people would wonder, why would someone write a book about a denomination um, (laughs) in the first place? Uh, Could you just, in a a minute or two, uh, talk to folks about the potential of the Southern Baptist Convention, why it is worth their time to think about this denomination, what are the possibilities for the SBC? Uh, I, I think that is a, an excellent question, uh, Dr. Johnson, and it's certainly on the uh, minds, I think, of uh, a younger generation that is not as loyal to right. the convention or to denominationalism in general. Southern Baptists have been around since 1845. We haven't gotten everything right over the last 160-plus years, so that's for sure. But uh, by God's grace, we've been held together. Now we are 44,000 churches, uh, you know, the largest Protestant uh, or non-Catholic uh, denomination in the United States, mm-hmm. uh, with churches and conventions in every state. Mm-hmm missionaries in over 120 different countries, the largest international mission force of any Protestant organization, the largest number of ministers preparing for ministry at the six seminaries, and numerous colleges, children's homes, ways to minister outside of the local church through education and benevolence ministries, not to mention the cultural engagement of the Ethics and Religious Liberty mm-hmm. Commission. So all of those things together, when we can cooperate, we can do things with one another we can't do by ourselves. It creates a synergy, uh, not only in cooperation, but in collaboration that uh, creates opportunities to advance the gospel to bring the witness of Christ to a watching world and to engage the culture in ways that no individual or local church can do alone. Dr. Dockery, I think uh, your call for consensus is uh, a good call because one of the great things about the Southern Baptists is there is an autonomy for all the churches. And so I I think there has to be times when a leader like you calls people together. Um, But I just want to kind of wrap this up by bringing back uh, the story of what happened at Union University and then sort of combining it with your message here. Can you just kind of tell us uh, one of the great lessons that maybe you learned and the students and the parents there at Union learned about God and how he deals with his people? Well, that's a a question that would take a long time to answer, I think. But I would say we have seen the providence of God firsthand in ways that most of us have never experienced it before in his protection and provision uh, for us. We have seen uh, God teach us lessons about his care and sustenance. Um, 
we have learned uh, to, to, to trust the family of God, to see the family of God come to help us. Uh, I mentioned not only 5,500 individuals, but 500 congregations, mm. wow. which is an example of the extended family, the Baptist family, uh, coming together to help us, cooperating together to help us in a way that no other, you know, one single church could do. And so this idea of a cooperating group of Baptists coming together to work for common causes, uh, particularly for the good of the gospel and the extension of God's kingdom. That works. It's been a wonderful thing. Mm. Dr. David Dockery has written the book, Southern Baptist Consensus and Renewal. We'll see you at the SBC in two weeks, Dr. Dockery. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Blessings to you. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. All right, welcome back. Um, We just were talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, which is coming up in two weeks. I want to remind you that we'll be broadcasting Jerry Johnson Live live from the Southern Baptist Convention in Indianapolis. Also, we will be debating some of those tertiary issues that Dr. Dockery talked about. It's always fun. Because they're fun. We're united on missions and evangelism. But Southern Baptists have been talking about Calvinism. We're going to talk about that again. We're going to have a debate on that. We'll also be talking about the environment. There are some Southern Baptist leaders who've signed on to an environmental kind of statement that's in sympathy with Gore and his methods and his calls and his alarmism. There have been others who say, wait a minute, not so fast. We also will discuss the issue of alcohol abstinence the best policy, or in moderation. So we have three lively debates. I think it'll be those three issues. You don't want to miss those shows coming up in two weeks. But uh, that reminds me today that the president of Czechoslovakia, Klaus, once again has challenged Al Gore to a debate on climate change. And we're going to have a He's debate. He's a pretty smart guy. We are going to have a debate at the Southern Baptist Convention. But people who say that uh, there is no debate, um, the debate is over, uh, I think it's very interesting that this, the president of this country says, I'm ready to debate Al Gore on this topic. And uh, I think there's another organization out there, too, that I'm not sure about this idea, but uh, <laughs> grassfire.org says that we ought to have a carbon belch day where we just uh, pollute <laughs> all over the place to uh, sort of protest uh, the uh, global warming dogma that's out there. Every presidential candidate right now is acknowledging that global warming is real and we need to do something about it. And uh, they want to do something sort of in your face. 
Well, Penna, there is um, a lot of urban legend out there on the Internet, and something that keeps coming back to us and again and again is Barack Obama a Muslim, and is he a covert Muslim, uh, sneaking in, slipping into the presidency? And I have to say, I find those uh, emails unconvincing. I believe at least he is identified with Christianity and the Christian church. Of course, what we mean by a born-again Christian, some of the statements he's made uh, you know, don't square really with New Testament Christianity. But in any case, he is not identifying with Muhammad or Allah or Islam. He's identifying with Christianity. But there's a very interesting piece in the New York Times hmm. that was also picked up in the Chronicle of Higher Education. And this isn't some email going around. And here it is, quote, As the son of the Muslim father... Senator Obama was born a Muslim under Muslim law, as it is universally understood. That comes from Edward Lutwak. He's senior associate for the Center for Strategic and International Studies, again, in the New York Times, repeated in the Chronicle of Higher Education, mainstream liberal publications. And they're pointing out, here's the headline in the Chronicle, Barack Obama, Muslim apostate, question mark. And here's the unusual thing about this, is that uh, you and I would be considered better off than Barack Obama uh, in these Muslim fundamentalist countries. Uh, That is, he is an apostate. He was a Muslim, and he has renounced that for Jesus, for the Christian church, for identification uh, with Christ. Um, so would you, he be in danger? Well, yes. You remember in Afghanistan there was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. They were going to stone this guy. You remember in Afghanistan a year ago we covered that story. Uh, still in Egypt, it's illegal to convert. Still in Saudi Arabia, it's illegal to convert. In places uh, places uh, ruled by the Shiites uh, or the Sunnis, uh, you can still be executed for this. And uh, he is considered, though, an apostate by true Muslims. Now, he says he wants to go over and negotiate face-to-face in Iran. What's you better that take gonna... <laughs> a lot of Secret Service guys with him. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with that. But it is fascinating. You know, Hillary Clinton alluded to the possibility of assassination when she mentioned Bobby Kennedy, and I think um, she was unfairly attacked for that. I don't think she really wanted to talk about him being assassinated, um, and we've already covered that. But the fact is this. Uh, Al-Qaeda, fundamentalist Muslims, um, the Islamo-terrorists, they would particularly be incensed uh, that that there is a Muslim apostate uh, out there uh, in such a prominent way. It would be very interesting to see how they start to react to Barack Obama. Now, Dr. W.A. Criswell is preaching this Sunday night on KCBI, KCRN, and KSYE. WACriswell.com at 7 o'clock on Sunday nights. And Dr. Criswell preached on Islam in the 1980s in the Iranian hostage crisis. Fascinating sermon. We're going to run that one soon. But since we're on this topic, I wanted you to hear a soundbite. This is pre-9-11. Some people think it is actually prophetic about 9-11. Here's Dr. W.A. Criswell. And when Habakkuk asked about the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem at the hand of the bitter and ruthless and hasty Babylonian. God said to Habakkuk, I have ordained them for judgment and established them for corruption. All I know is this. 
if there is not a repentance and a getting right and a turning to God on the part of America. I think, according to the word, God is going to use the Islamic world, the Mohammedan world, and the atheistic communist world to chasten America. And I cringe before the day. God in heaven, the next war will not be fought over there, over there. The next war will be fought up here. It will rain livid death and fire from the sky. What do you think of that, Penna? I guess he's saying that uh, we'll be attacked by Muslim nations, and of course that, that, that has happened in a sense with 9-11, mm. and uh, that's what we want to prevent uh, through the policies that we are pursuing over in the Middle East right now, and I think that's, uh, that's a national discussion that we need to continue mm. to have. So we talk with Frank Gaffney, we talk about what's happening in Iran and Iraq and with al-Qaeda, but what Dr. Criswell is doing with this sermon, and he does so often, is uh, he moves above the political level, and he's talking at a spiritual and scriptural level that uh, God used wicked nations. He used Egypt. He used the Babylonians, Chaldeans. Um, he has always used the evil empires <laughs> to judge his people when they were in rebellion. And Dr. Criswell is saying it may be that God would use atheistic Russia or China or Islamic uh, countries to chasten us, to discipline us. And I think we've got to accept that possibility. And um, it's one thing to talk about the military, and we should. That is their job, to protect us. But it's another thing to ask, you know, has God removed his hand of protection on America in these days? And if so, what is the message? Well, the message should always be to repent, to turn. That's true individually. It's true corporately. For the nation. And we know that Second Chronicles 7 says, If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Listen to Dr. Criswell this Sunday night at 7 o'clock. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live a Christian Worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.